Welcome to Amplify, the personal brand entrepreneur show. Today on the show, Bob is speaking with Oliver Banks. The, the fact that so many of these digital tools now allow anyone to, to jump in and get started. You know, you could open up a, a new e-commerce store this afternoon. You could start a podcast this afternoon, launch a YouTube channel this afternoon, whatever. And I think that offers huge freedom. But like you say, if you succumb to the fear of failure and ridicule, then it's, it's never going to get off the ground. Hi there, and welcome back to the Personal Brand Business Show. My name is Bob Gentle, and every week I speak with incredible people who share their secrets to building, marketing, and monetizing your expertise, and intentionally growing a unique personal brand and the mindset you need for your business to grow and thrive. If you're new to the show, then while you still have your device in your hand and take a second to subscribe. And if you're on YouTube, you could also like the video while you're there. It won't hurt. It will really make my day. But if you are a regular listener, then please share this show with just one person. It's the very best way you can help the show grow and help me reach more people. And again, if you are watching on YouTube, like and subscribe. And a comment will also help the algorithm. So this is an interview I've been trying to get for a long time. Oliver Banks, welcome to the show. There's so many questions I have. Thank you so much. It is a long time coming, but I can't wait. We're going to jump into loads of fantastic topics, I'm sure. So one of the reasons I'm really excited about speaking to you is I speak to lots of what I would call internet people and authors of marketing books and things like that. But a lot of my clients are not that. A lot of my clients are mainstream business owners, consultants and coaches who aren't from internet land or they don't have a digital marketing background and you're one of the very few guests who is really excelling in what i would call a mainstream consulting business so you don't come from internet land as such do you <laughs> no not 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 at all really i would say so very much focused on consulting in i suppose a classic sense of the word you know really diving into a client's challenges the closest i get to internet land is e-commerce because I, I focus in on retail and retail transformation and change. And it's it's a, it's a fantastic business to be in. It's something that I was in in a corporate job before setting up my own company back in 2015. And I love the industry, the industry of retail, the industry of shopping as well. It's so deep, actually quite complex as well, which is uh, entertaining for, for someone like myself. So let's maybe begin with the work that you do with clients. Retail transformation is almost, you could say it's quite a vague description because retail by definition is constantly in flux. It's constantly transforming. Yes. Especially, well, I think that's not even true. I'm just thinking back from when I was a kid in the late seventies through until now, it's been a constant process of transformation and evolution. Yes. What's your role within that process? Let, let, let's go back to retail transformation is quite broad. And absolutely, yes, it is. There is so much that I get involved with, with clients. So I work with large retailers, big high street names that I'm sure, I'm sure listeners will have heard of and come across and maybe even bought from as well. And I suppose my focus is not so much on the what of change and transformation. So I don't specialize in, you know, let's say CRM systems or warehouse processes or whatever but very much on the how. So working really closely with the organization, making sure that you've got the right aspects of collaboration, for example, across these big complex corporations that 
really ultimately focus in and use the expertise that is in and inherent within the business to, to, to drive transformation. I think one of the things I'm always curious about in your kind of business is what is the catalyst in an organization that leads them to hire somebody like you? Because like I said, changes are constant in these organizations. So something must happen in an organization in order for them to decide, okay, we need to become more intentional about this specific change. Absolutely. So as, as you said, retail is continually changing. And I suppose for starters, there are two types of retail organizations very broadly. There's those that recognize the change and decide to do something intentional about it and those that don't. And I'm sure we can all think of examples of those companies that have unfortunately uh, gone, gone by the wayside and they have not been able to change and transform and stay relevant. So let's let's stay with that first group of companies. There could be any number of different challenges that the business is facing. It could be facing, for example, you know, performance issues. So sales lower than target, particular KPIs and metrics not not hitting expectations, for example. Or there could be opportunities, you know, positive growth opportunities of we see this particular niche and we want to go after that. So with both of those, there is an element of we've got to do something differently, right? Whether it is maintaining the ground or gaining new ground. And, you know, I, I suppose I come in when a retailer recognizes that we want to do something differently, but A, we don't have the bandwidth or the capability in-house, particularly as change and transformation is not the same as, shall we say, day job. You know, you could be a fantastic merchandiser or supply chain expert, and that's brilliant, but it's not the same as being a transformation expert as well. So it's recognizing that actually we need some help to go about the journey of change and the journey of transformation rather than just trying to cobble our way through. You know, there's there's so much volatility in the world, as I'm sure we all know, that, you know, it's we're, we're on relatively thin ice as businesses now. You know, we do not have the luxury of lots of trial and error. Trial is absolutely great, but you've got to get the right balance of success as well. Because, yeah, unfortunately, we don't have the luxury of oodles of time and cash reserves, etc. So one of the reasons I wanted to speak to you is there are lots of consultants out there, many, many of them. And I speak to them all the time. They've become accustomed to doing business in a particular way. They maybe go to networking groups or they, they try and build a little bit of a presence on social media. But it's a hamster wheel that is very difficult to escape. And then there's you who is consistently visible, consistently moving forward and consistently quite obviously doing something different. And I kind of know what all the moving parts are there to an extent. And I can explain it to people sometimes, but they think this is just Bob making stuff up. Now, <laughs> I guess what I would like to hear from you is how intentional has that doing things differently? And we'll get into what you do in terms for, for from a sales and a marketing perspective in a minute. But you clearly could see all these traditional routes to market and decided to do something different. What did that process look like for you? So there's a lot of experimentation that I ended up going through. You know, I remember probably quite early on in, in my own business, probably 20, 
2016 probably, starting to do webinars, for example. And I thought, yeah, this sounds great. You know, let's do let's do a webinar. And running into roadblocks where with Zoom as my platform, it was just blocked by corporate accounts because it's, you know, it's this company called Zoom that we've never heard of. Why are we going <laughs> to let our uh, our users access this to be able to stream video? You know, why would we want to do that? And actually, you know, it was too early for webinars, right? But I wouldn't have recognized that without without trying. And so I've, I've tried several different experiments. Some worked, some didn't. You know, the, the the podcast, my podcast, The Retail Transformation Show, which we set up at the same time as this podcast, has been a fantastic experiment that, you know, very much was, I want to do something differently. What do I enjoy? What would I value? Oh, I enjoy listening to podcasts. So therefore, why don't I do a podcast and see see if that works as well? And it, it has worked well. And it's been fantastic and it's, you know, it's grown me, it's grown my brand, my awareness, my reputation and done some fantastic things as well. But, you know, it's still there's an element of experimentation and trying new things as well. I'm quite naturally innovative, I suppose. So let's go for, for an example. Right at the beginning of COVID time, I decided to put on a virtual event, you know, nine, nine days into our UK lockdown, I, I hosted a huge virtual event and kind of was first mover in that place and still get lots of people recognizing that actually that was still the cream of the crop for all the other virtual events and aspects like that that they've been to since. And it's, you know, that makes me proud. And I've actually run three of my virtual events now. Each one I've been experimenting and trying different things along the way, which is which is good. And I'm going to be continuing to try and experiment new things with, uh, with, with ongoing virtual events now as well. So with these experiments, with experimentation comes risk. And a lot of people, when, we, when you look at potentially putting on virtual events and starting a podcast, they like the idea on the one hand, but then there's this fear of ridicule and what happens if it goes wrong on the other hand. Some people, I would say a lot of people spend so much time listening to the negative that they never take action and enjoy the positive. Definitely. What's been your experience around that? It's a great question. I think I think I've been at times quite hesitant to do things and have wanted to, you know, get the right planning. The podcast is a good example. I spent best part of a year trying to plan and also a little bit of procrastinating in there, I'm sure, but making sure that I've got a clear view of what what it is, what it is not, how am I going to take it and 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 uh, progress it from you know, episode one, so to speak. And I think, you know, as I was saying earlier, you don't have a huge amount of room for errors, right? I think with content generation, there's actually probably a little bit more room because you can do aspects like podcasts and even webinars and stuff relatively low cost, right? I, I love the, the the fact that so many of these digital tools now allow anyone to, to jump in and get started. You know, you could open up a, a new e-commerce store this afternoon, you could start a podcast this afternoon, launch a YouTube channel this afternoon, whatever. And I think that offers huge freedom. But if, but like you say, if you succumb to the fear of failure and ridicule, then it's it's never going to get off the ground. Part of that is just about being brave and courageous. I think you've got to just jump in. I have very rarely seen 
someone launched something like a podcast or a YouTube channel where you just think, this is awful. (laughs) Don't do this ever again, right? Because generally people are sensible and people do have good experience and they want to share that experience and the intentions are right as well. So I think, you know, recognize what is it you're trying to do? What is the value that you can give to your audience, whoever that audience is, you know, whatever niche you focus in on and and just get started. And my guess is the feedback will come back really positive. And you also got to, you know, you've got to be honest with what expectations you can prepare for. Is episode one of your podcast going to launch a million downloads? Probably not. You know, I saw really, you know, for, you know, the first probably three, three months of the podcast was really quite flat. <laughs> it's me testing it was working. <laughs> yeah. But, and, and then suddenly you get, you generate buzz and it would have been easy to stop after two months and think, oh, there's not that many listeners. Never mind. But then you never, you never get to the scale. I think it's very interesting because I help a lot of clients. It's just part of the ecosystem of what I do, launch podcasts. And to see how podcasts grow is really interesting. Mm. Really weak growth at the beginning is normal, but there's a process that happens in podcast growth that people don't really understand. And if you, and time is such an important factor in that process. I'm, I'm not going to bore anybody with it just now. Something I absolutely recognize is this waiting for the perfect plan before taking action. Like you, I had my podcast microphone for probably three years before I did any kind of interview. And what I discovered was, and I guess it, so you know, Philip Van Dusen. Yeah. It's one of my first podcast guests. And I remember speaking to him and when it was about video marketing or YouTube in particular, video content, but the same principle holds true for podcasting. He said, if you want to be a great tennis player, you can watch people play tennis. You can read about playing tennis. You can take courses, you can hire a coach, you can buy all the best equipment, but until you start playing tennis, you'll never be a great tennis player. And that for me was so applicable in the podcasting space. Yeah. But there's another really fundamental principle that is is that if you want to be good at anything, you have to embrace sucking at it first. That's the price. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes, definitely. And, And if you can allow yourself the humility to approach your podcast as a service and not as a platform to show off. That makes it so much easier. Yeah, very much so. And I think the other thing to that as well, you know, think of it as a service to one individual person, right? Yeah. You know, do you need to have the the proverbial million downloads of subscribers? No, you don't. Actually, depending on your niche, you know, if you had, you know, if I had a podcast that went to one perfect ideal client, that would be a really big success, right? If it was just one person that was listening and it was the right person, <laughs> you know, that would be that would be fantastic, right? And same with YouTube or any other content, right? If you get the right people and you're delivering the right value to that, you don't need to have the the you know, the, the bucket loads of showing off showing off stats and analysis, et cetera. Well, I think this is an important question because I am fairly certain that the value of your podcast to you is way beyond the people who actually listen to it. How would you yes. describe the value that the podcast has to you? Because I think for the, for the listener who is you of yesterday, this is actually the most important thing. And it's the most important thing most people don't understand about podcasting. So the, the, the value is 
branding, right? Personal branding and reputation. I've become known as the, the, the retail transformation guy. I've, I've actually been called the retail transformation king. And that would not have happened if I had not secured those two words with aspects like the retail transformation show and my virtual event retail transformation live. And I think it just allows you to go in and stay focused, you know, much better than say calling it the Oliver Banks show, which could be a bit, you know, what's that about? Right. You know, particularly unless you're a celebrity, right. (laughs) But it, you know, it allows you to position yourself as a specialist on a particular topic. I don't like to use the word expert. Expert is what other people dub you. But if you position yourself as a specialist, they're more likely to think of you like an expert. And is your show largely solo content? I go for about 50-50. So half are guest interviews with a huge selection of different people that either sort of play in or around the retail industry, as well as a few more abstract guests as well. We've had, um, for example a Spider-Man comic book writer as, uh, as, as one of the guests, which has been fantastic. And then the other, the other half are solo shows where it's, it's me getting into a particular challenge, a particular topic and understanding what's going on, you know, supplementing, I suppose, my own thoughts with new research, building out a bit of a framework, a bit of a structure to how everything fits together. And that has been an enormously useful thinking tool for myself you know, as as you said, retail is big and broad and there's so many different topics you could dive into. And actually, how do they all fit together and knit together neatly? Is uh it's it's a it's a challenge that I enjoy on a weekly basis. And I'm I'm leading with this question a little bit, and I apologize to the listener for this, but I don't apologize because it's important. I'm curious to know what the compound effect of you speaking to retail experts from around the world, week after week, month after month, year after year. What difference has that had on your career and your life? Has that had an impact? So I've met some fantastic people that, frankly, I would not never have expected to have met in the past. It's allowed me to gain recognition as well from from them and from, from a huge number of other people as well. One of the elements, Bob, that I love is going to an event and having lots of different people coming up and saying, oh, are you Oliver? You know, I listened to your show. It's fantastic. You know, da, 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 da. And just engaging in conversation with people I know, people I don't know as well. And it's, it's just a fantastic, you know, I suppose, platform to encourage conversations and to, you know, meet new people, frankly, which, you know, like I say, that there have been some amazing people that I would never have connected with if it wasn't for the podcast. I think the reason I was asking that question, and I think you're being a little modest, is we're judged by the company we keep a lot of the time. People say that a brand is what people say about you when you're not in the room. And that's equally true of a personal brand. A personal brand is what people say about you when you're not in the room. But that conversation doesn't have to be between different people. It can be the internal dialogue in somebody else's head. And you exist in the minds of your target audience but within the context of the people that you're known to associate with. And what I think you enjoy as a result of that, that other retail experts who maybe know what you know, but they're not the Oliver Banks. 
from retail transformation mm. and fame. So when somebody's thinking, who are we going to get to help us? They're going to have to eliminate you before they choose somebody else. And that puts you in an incredibly strong position from, from, a, from a marketing perspective, from a referral perspective, in so many different ways. Your brand capital is something that all your potential competitors are going to have to try and neutralize in their pitches. You don't even need to do that, which is, for me, from a positioning perspective, it's golden. Yes. Yeah, very true. Very true. And it's, um, you know, it's, you know there's, there's that term of uh, people do business with people, right? And positioning myself as an approachable person, whether you've listened to all of the podcast episodes or one or even none, right? You still recognized actually, I'm a person, I'm, I'm, I've, I've got lots of ideas which I'm willing to put out in the world. And that, that opens doors for sure. Have you ever experienced any negative blowback to the work that you do around personal branding? So not so much negative. So, you know, in terms of social media playground, LinkedIn is where I, I live. And generally, you know, people are nice on LinkedIn, I would say. It's not like on other social media platforms where you get people being a bit arsy. So in that respect, it's it's been fine. Probably the one of the most challenging areas is given the sort of my, my prolific element around content for podcasts and virtual events and stuff, just keeping it in mind that first and foremost, I'm a consultant mm. because it's easy that, oh, you're, you know, you're a podcaster, right? Well, actually, no, I'm a consultant that does podcasting rather than a podcaster first and foremost you know i've very intentionally kept the podcast as a non-monetized marketing channel i suppose we could we could say and so yeah if if i become just a podcast i get very poor very quickly (laughs) i think that's that that's actually a really important point that it's very easy for people to assume that you're inaccessible as a podcaster, if you can be a victim potentially of your own success and people think, well, he must be far too expensive. Mm. We could never afford him or he won't be available because he's so high profile. So making sure that you consistently communicate how people can engage with you is really, really important. Yes. Yeah. And just, re- you know, it's a great opportunity to reiterate the value that you can provide on a, on a regular basis. Right. I, for, for a long time, I didn't really touch on that in the podcast. It was like, here's the podcast episode. Ta-da. And now, you know, I make much more of a concerted effort to say, right, here's who I am. Here's what I do and how I can help. So I position that into every episode, for example. And I guess one other thing I'm curious around, around your personal branding work in particular is family and friends. Have you had any experience where people make fun of you in, in the pub or anything like that? No. <laughs> well, the reason maybe, I, I think maybe I need to get out to the pub more. Um, <laughs> I think the, the reason I asked this question is I'm putting myself in the mind of somebody who's looking at Oliver Banks and thinking, maybe I could try something like that. And I think the irrational worries that there are around personal visibility and personal branding are endless. But I think what you're demonstrating is that the rewards are extraordinary. And just just picking on that point, if I, I would probably suggest if you are friends with people in particular that you think actually are going to pick you up and make not not like just uh, little jokes about it, but actually proper 
bullying, essentially, then you're probably hanging around with the wrong people, I would suggest. And if that, you know, if, if that sort of toxic group of people is holding you back, that's that's no good for anyone, right? Yeah. It's no good for them. It's no good for you, clearly, either. So I, I might suggest you might move to a different table at the pub. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, I know you're writing a book at the moment. I am, yes. Drive, driving Retail Transformation. I, I saw the, the cover of it on LinkedIn, or the internal cover. How far through that are you, and what's that been like? So the, the manuscript, the words, are complete. So it is a, you know, it's, it's the longest Word document I've ever written. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's a playbook for how to lead and navigate through the, the, the challenging and complex journey of change really to help retail leaders, you know, tackle this big challenge that is in front of them, you know, the, the, the changing retail landscape and how you go about evolving a company. And that has been a fantastic process. So I've been really quite heads down on it for the first half of 2023. And then the second half of 2023 is turning that Word document into, into a full book. So working with, with my publisher to get that out and it will be out in early 2024 but i have loved every moment of this process similar to the podcast i've been thinking about it for quite a while mm. i've been doing mind maps and like yeah scribbling stuff down and it, for a long time it didn't quite feel right it was like i can't quite work out what the key idea is or there's too many different sort of random elements and and actually that now in hindsight was all part of the process, right? That was part yeah. of the process of working out how does this all fit together? What is the book? What is a, a, a relevant thing? You know, that in the moment I was being a little bit hard on myself, to be honest. Come on, you've got to get this, just get, get writing, right? And open up a new Word document and just, just get onto it. But that thinking has really, you know, I've loved every moment of the thinking. It's really developed my own ideas and concepts and tools and how I go about doing my work as well. It's really interesting knowing quite a lot of people watching them write books and big creative projects of all different kinds. Something that's really become clear to me is that big ideas don't, they don't come finished. <laughs> big ideas need time and big ideas need space. And the reason a lot of people never get to writing a book is because they never give it a space to live and let it slowly come into the world and mm. they never give it time to grow and time to evolve. Both of those things are really important. Yeah. And you know, it's the, the, the concept of writing a book in an, its most basic sense is really quite simple, right? Open up a word doc, tap, 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 50 or thousand words later, you're, you're done. But actually that, that thinking to get this big idea ready is what's most valuable. And that's, you know, it, it, it takes time, right? It, like you say, it doesn't just pop into your head. Certainly in a piece of content, the scale of a book, you know, you, you could write a social media post, for example, on, or even a blog post on an idea that has just popped into your head. The depth that is needed for a book is is on a whole nother, whole nother level. So one question I would like to ask you, because the answer for, for this is always interesting. It really comes back to sales and sales process and how opportunity comes to you. Opportunity can come to us through outbound sales, knocking on doors. It can come through inbound inquiries, through content or search. It can come through ads and it can come through relationship. 
And in most people's businesses, there's a little bit of a mix, but there's an obvious dominance happening. What does that look like for you? So I, I think fairly naturally, the content side is, is quite important. And that drives a lot of inbound conversations. The, the type of work that I sell is not, you know, go to this website and click the buy now button, right? Mm. You know, it takes time to develop an individual lead and, you know, get to know both one person, but also the wider organization as well. You know, a lot of sales t- tactics talk about, you know, who's the decision maker. But actually often, particularly if you're selling to big companies, there are many decision makers that all must play into it, different parts. Yes, of course, it's great to have a champion that is there to to, to, to be your voice in the boardroom, so to speak. But, you know, everyone everyone wants to play a part and it's the right thing to do to get to know an organisation and for them to get to know me, for example. And I think, I think therefore, it's, it is a bit of a mix. I don't do much advertising, if I'm honest. Just because, I wouldn't have expected you to. No, <laughs> because of that, you know, it's not it's not a, a one click. You know, I couldn't run, let's say, Facebook ads and measure a conversion rate, right? Because it just doesn't work like that for me. Or, or for those that are running, should we say, more traditional non-internet businesses. So I, I think there's, there's a bit of a mix. If I'm honest, it ebbs and flows, right? So there are times where I think right, I need to step, step on it a bit and do more outbound and there are times where there's loads of inbound as well i think i'm glad that that was the answer because what you've illustrated there is the roi of the content because most consultants listening to this show if they haven't been content marketing and, and really leaning into the personal brand the answer would have been referrals that's the normal answer you would expect from a consultant and i'm pretty sure you get referral and relationship opportunity as well but that that isn't dominating tells me that you have diversity of opportunity, which most people don't. And- yeah, absolutely. And, and just on the referral side, you know, referrals are absolutely important, but actually what content can really help to do is allow that relationship that may have, you know, you may have not worked with someone for, you know, if, even several years, right? But by absorbing content and just seeing the different points of view, et cetera, that individual is still ready to refer you maybe years later when, you know, there'll be plenty of other people. If you, if you sit and do nothing, right, it's very easy for that brand of yours, relatively small if you're doing nothing, to just get forgotten about, right? And the referral goes to the next person who's yeah. been more recently in touch with, you know, a contact. And I think, yeah, that, that content side just allows you to stay front of mind for much, much longer. And actually continue to build that relationship as well. I think, yeah, you're right. It's not, you're not just front of mind, but you're front of mind and increasingly influential instead of front of mind falling into hindbrain and <laughs> increasingly diminishing <laughs> in your relevance. Yeah. So that's, that's a really useful picture. Oliver, I am aware that I have been taking a lot of your time today and well, we should probably bring things to a close, but... Uh, I need to remember to ask you, what's one thing you do now that you wish you'd started five years ago? Starting the podcast, I have to say, would be the the, the number one thing that, yeah, five years ago, I hadn't actually started the podcast yet, but was in that sort of planning stage. And actually, I, 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 in hindsight, I would have pressed that go button a lot earlier, just getting started. You know, you can evolve an idea as it goes. 
that has built my confidence uh, as an individual and allowed me to get onto speaking and running my own events, ultimately becoming an author, you know, when I'm not being so bashful. I'm one of the world's leading retail influencers and that would never have happened without starting the podcast. So that absolutely is, uh, is the thing that I'd have done five years ago. I think just being able to say one of the world's top 100 retail influencers and keep a straight face is extremely <laughs> powerful because it, there is a truth to it. And yeah, there might be people out there listening who know more about retail transformation than Oliver Banks, but nobody knows about them. Yes, and so very you, true. Oliver, you have been awesome. If people want to connect with you, if they want to go deeper with you, how can they find you? And where you like LinkedIn, obviously, but what would yeah, you like people to do next? Link, LinkedIn is the best place to reach out to me. I'm Oliver Banks. You can see me. I've got a little green green circle around my name, my head, which is uh, not to be confused with the hiring or open to work, whatever it is <laughs> that LinkedIn have taken. So LinkedIn is absolutely the best place to to reach out. I do have a a briefing as well, a retail transformation briefing, which is my email newsletter, which gives you a lowdown as to how the retail industry is evolving every single week. So if people want to reach out on LinkedIn or sign up at obandco.uk slash briefing, then those are the best two options. I will put links in the show notes. And if there's any consultants listening, thinking I would like to maybe have a look at what Oliver's doing and see what I could do, just type retail transformation into Apple Podcasts. And you're pretty much number one. Oliver, <laughs> that's been awesome. Thank you so much for your time. I've had a great time. It's nice to finally catch up with you after this pandemic nonsense. It is absolutely. Bob, it's been a fantastic conversation. Thank you so much for inviting me on. You are very welcome.